This morning's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under pressure. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As I mentioned last week, we're taking two weeks to focus on stewardship and generosity, and we're doing so because it's an important subject. How we view our possessions, our income, our finances, our time in general is just an important part of life, right? Like, if you just think about how much of your life you spend thinking about your possessions, your finances, your income, what to do with your time, it's a really big part of who we are as people. We, we spend a lot of time thinking about those things, and so it only makes sense that God would have a lot to say about it, which he does. Uh, having having a new relationship, that's really what I want to hit, having a new relationship with our time, our talent, and our treasure is a big part of what it means to be a Christian. Christians are called to have a new relationship with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And I mentioned last week, one reason that we're doing this little short little series is because I haven't, we haven't done a very good job of, of teaching very clearly here what uh, God has to say about finances, about giving, about stewardship in the past. And we're taking time to try to correct that. And, and really, we've been brought to this place because we've had to do some serious thinking and some serious praying about finances as a church. Maybe you've been there individually in your, in your household before, or you personally, like, hey, you don't have to do a lot of thinking about finances until, like, things get tight, and you have to all of a sudden think about it a little bit more. And that's kind of where we've, where we've been. And, and we've asked you to be prayerful and thoughtful and regarding your giving to the church, and, and we've asked that you consider, this where we have pledge cards that are due today, what you're going to give thoughtfully and prayerfully, what you're going to give to the church over the next 18 months. But more than that, way more than that, I want you, I want us to recover something. I'm not just asking you to give more to the church. I, I, I'm, this is not about the church making payroll or even being able to get a building. Frankly, I'll be honest, 100% honest with you this morning, I honestly don't care about those things, ultimately. I care, but I don't ultimately care about us making payroll or us ever getting a building, 100%, I can tell you right up here with assurance, God is going to provide for me and for my family. He's, he's going to provide and care for all the families that are represented here. My God owns the universe. And so I'm not really concerned about whether we get a building or not. If we follow him and respond to his leadings, there's no door that, he can sh- that anyone can shut that he has opened. And I have a feeling, I have a sense this morning that, 
that God is going to provide whatever building that we need. I'm not really concerned about that. God's going to provide everything that I need, my family needs, our church needs, you need, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's not what I'm up here doing. Here's what I really, really care about for you and me and for our children and for our neighbors. I want us to see what God has in mind in and through his church regarding stewardship and generosity. I want us to see what God has in mind in and through his church regarding stewardship and generosity. You see, by nature, we tend to view things transactionally. We view giving transactionally. Everybody knows what's going on, but we all play this transactional game. I get up, somebody gets up and says, the church needs more money. And you say, well, so of course, we're doing a, a series on giving and because you want us to give more, right? But everybody knows what's going on in that scenario. We need money, we make an appeal for money, you listen, and then you decide whether to give or not and how much to give. And, and it's transactional. The way it works is this. Um, I try to show you how much the church, what the church is doing, benefits you and then you consider that, and then you give if you consider those things are truly valuable to you. And you'll give if they are valuable to you and you have discretionary funds. You'll give according to how valuable the, the goods or services that you receive or how excited you get about what we're doing is. That's how much you will give. But see, that involves the same principles that, that operate in advertisement and anything else that you and I consume. They tell you what they're offering or they're selling you and why it's so great, so you'll buy more. So the church, in a similar way, tells you what, we're, what you're giving towards and why it's so important, so you will give more. And you will give if you receive from the church. You say, hey, I really like these services. I like what the church does. I like what the church is doing for my kids. Or you guys really help my, my marriage. You guys have really helped me in these ways. So I'll, I'll give back to the church in because I've received something. Or you might give because you believe in a particular church's mission or their leadership or their vision. I like the way they do things. I like those leaders. They seem sharp. I'll give to them. They seem they seem like they're worth giving some money to and see what they can do with some money. Or you believe, or you give because you believe that you owe God. Sort of like the, because I breathe his air and my heart is pumping, therefore I owe him. It's sort of like rent for the air that I breathe or the life that I live. Or you might give because you believe if I give, God's going to give more back to me in return. Now here's what I want you to see about all those reasons. They're all transactional. You see, in those, that type of thinking, giving our generosity to the church and to each other is just like anything else in this world. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. That's not what the kingdom of Jesus looks like. That's not how the kingdom of Jesus operates. That's not what his church, what his body is supposed to look like. God has created his church to be an example of what it's like to live under the good rule and reign of King Jesus. And we are to be an upside-down, otherworldly, spirit-filled, Jesus-looking-like community of believers who are redeemed and set-apart sinners, who are also saints miraculously, and we give our all to him and his mission. 
That's what we're called to be like. We're called to be an, I'm going to say it again in case you didn't get it, an upside down, otherworldly, spirit-filled, Jesus-looking-like community of redeemed and set-apart sinners who are also miraculously saints. Tim Keller was a preacher and a pastor and an author in New York City, um, very, very influential to me and many of us here at Doxa. He passed away on Friday morning. Some of you guys already know that. And so it's pretty fitting that I would use a, a quote from him here. It's a little bit longer than I would normally use. But so just humor me. He was really important to me. And this is a really good quote. After the last apostle John died, 20 or 30 years later, we don't know who wrote this, but we have a very, very ancient Christian document. It's called the Epistle to Dionetus. Dionetus was a non-Christian, and get this picture of what this looks like, 20 or 30 years after the last apostle died. And somebody writes Dionetus, and they're explaining to him what Christianity is. And this is what it says. It's very interesting. This is a paraphrase, Tim Keller's paraphrase, but it says this. Let me tell you what Christianity is spreading so fast. Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens. For every foreign country is to them as their native land, and every native land is as their foreign country. They marry and they have children, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They share their table and every, with everyone, but they don't share their bed with, any, with everyone. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything, but yet have plenty of everything. They're treated outrageously, but behave respectfully. They are mocked and blessed in return. When they do good, they are attacked. When they are attacked, they rejoice as if being given new life. And he says this, how could Christianity spread in the way that it did? The answer is nobody can match the beauty of the lives of these Christians. Their lifestyle was gorgeous. Their lifestyle was startling. There was a lack of racism, a high regard for human life, a sex ethic of purity and commitment, and lastly, a radical generosity. Believer, that is what he has called us to be a part of. And anything less than that is a bastardization, can I say that? A bastardization of what the church is and what it's called to be. And it's a watering down of true biblical, Holy Spirit-filled, Jesus-looking-like Christianity. That's the kind of lifestyle he's called us to. And Paul says this in this message, in this passage that was just read for us. The Christian, we live that way because the Christian has received radical generosity. The Christian is to live like that because the Christian has received radical generosity. Here's what's going on here. There's a, a famine in Jerusalem. And Paul has heard about that, where Christianity began. And, and Paul, who planted churches mostly among Gentiles, is now made an appeal to those churches in Asia Minor, saying, hey, there's a, a deep, terrible famine going on in Jerusalem. Let's take up an offering and send it to them in order to support them. Now, this was revolutionary because at this time, nobody would ever think about taking up an offering for people that they didn't know especially if those people they didn't know were not their same nationality or ethnicity. Do you see the beauty of the gospel already in that? 
Paul is saying, hey, Gentiles, though you haven't met these believers back in Jerusalem, though they have, share a different nationality than you, though they have a, live in a different nation than you, they have a different background than you, their skin might look different than yours, they might think and act and eat differently than you do, because you've received the radical generosity of Christ, why don't you share willingly out of your heart with those who are in need? It was revolutionary. But he, he, when he told them that, they gladly agreed to send a certain amount to them. It was a large amount that would take a time to collect, and it was a sacrificial amount. And it was so sacrificial that when the Macedonians heard what the Corinthian church had said they were going to give, they were shot and they were moved to generosity themselves. And now Paul is writing to the Corinthians, urging them, hey, don't forget what you promised to do. I want you to complete what you've begun, but he does so in a really particular way. He doesn't use his authority to try to command them and cajole them into giving. He doesn't guilt them into giving. He doesn't embarrass them. He doesn't drive them. Here's what he says in the, in the chapter before. He says this, I say this, remember to give. Not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. This is key. Verse 9, for you know. This is why. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Do you hear what moves and motivates radical generosity in the heart of the believer? Here's why we don't give under compulsion. Here's why we give to to meet needs. Here's why our giving is going to result in praise to God. Why wouldn't their giving, why wouldn't their gift, why wouldn't their gift result in them getting praise? Why wouldn't their gift result in them getting a million likes on Instagram when they they broadcast for everyone what they're going to do for this other church? That's what we do now. Why would their giving not receive praise? You know why? Because he says this, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And he says this, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift What created this radical generosity? Why would these Corinthians not receive credit for it? Because they're saying we are only reason that we are moved to be generous is because God has lavished his inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ upon us. And he has given him freely, without cost and without measure. He's given him to those who do not deserve it. And he's given it to each each one of us who says, though I deserve him less than anybody else. Paul said, though I'm the least of sinners, I'm the greatest sinner there is, the least of us, if you really have received the inexpressible gift of the grace of Jesus Christ upon you, if you've experienced that he became poor so that you become rich, if you see that he took his death so that you could live, if you see that he left heaven so he could bring you to the Father. If when you see that and experience that and know that, it stirs your heart because you have received radical grace. You've received radical generosity from the Father through Christ Jesus. Generosity is a mark of God's character. God in his nature is self-giving. 
without reservation, without pretense. The good of others is his glory, and that is shown to us in Jesus. Jesus has been lavished upon us. Do you know that love and grace? Do you know the great generosity of God the Father to you in Christ? See, Christians are those of free but yet costly grace. Christians are those who have received radical generosity and everything flows from that. If you haven't received that grace, if you're here today and you have not received that grace, I'm not here asking you to be generous. In fact, I don't want you to give because you'll give for the wrong reasons. You'll give trying to get something in return. Here's what I want you to think about if that's you. Have I received the free gift of God's lavish grace, his radical generosity to me in Christ? The Christian is one who has received of that radical generosity, and we don't give in order to earn it. We don't give in order to try to pay it back. We do give, we give radically of ourselves because we have received the lavish mercy, the radical generosity of God to us in Christ. And to those who have received that, what we know is that radical generosity is a mark of a, being a Christian. Radical generosity is a mark of those who have been born of, a, of above. They have received of the Spirit of God. They've partaken of the divine nature. In Christ, they've been freely given all things. And so it's only natural for the Christian to be supernaturally generous. Generosity flows from the free grace that we've received from God. And that's why for the believer, whenever we're generous, whenever we give to those around us who have needs, whenever we sacrifice of ourselves for the sake of others, we do so with the mindset that we're not just giving to the people around us, we're giving to God as we give to the people around us. It's God that Paul says it provides the seed for the sower. It's God who gives us. Last week we talked about stewardship. Our generosity flows from the fact that we are only stewards of what God has given us. God himself, do you, do you see how personally God takes generosity? It says that God is the one who provides the seed for the sower to sow. And it's God who received the worship when believers are radically generous with their lives, with their time, with their talent, and with their treasure. It's God that receives worship and glory because people look at that and they say, these people are gladly and radically generous. Why would they do so looking for nothing in return from anyone around them? It's not transactional for them. Why would they do so? And they say, oh, wow, it must be because Christ really is real and true. The believer is radically generous because we're doing so out of thanks to God. That's what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. He says that your generosity will in every way produce thanksgiving back to God. 
giving, what we see is worship. For the believer, whenever I give of my time, my talent, my treasure, when I give to people around me, when I give to the church, when I give to mission, when I give to those things, especially when it costs me, God is being worshiped and glorified. He's being worshiped that I'm declaring my independence from this world system and my absolute and utter dependence upon him. And he's being glorified in what he uses the gifts that I give him to do in the lives of those around me. But where do we give? Where's the believer called to give? There's three places. I think we see it here in this passage and we see it in the history of the church. We're called to give to three places. One, we're called to give to the church. We're called to give to the church. Not so the church can have a great, nice building. Not so that the pastor can pad his pockets and drive a nicer car and upgrade his house. We give to the church because that is God's vehicle, his primary vehicle for his mission in the world. A church that doesn't clutch onto finances but holds them loosely for God's mission can be a great power for good in the community that they're in. And we give to his people. Do you see that in this passage? They saw that people needed money, they needed support, they were in need, and the believers were moved to give sacrificially and radically so that those people who were in need could be taken care of. First to believers, and secondly, to those who are outside the church. That's something the Christians have always been known for. Not just sacrificing for each other. It says, we see in Acts, we mentioned last week, there was no one that had a need among them because they were so radically generous. But we also see that Christians became so radically generous that they gave and sacrificed for those who were outside of the church. Those who were not yet believers. Those who were suffering. They provided for them. We give to the church and we give to people. And thirdly, we give to God's mission. It's already been talked about this morning. We give, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And believers are those who say, I will willingly give to reach people I have not met and may never meet because God loves them and God wants to see disciples made of every nation. And I want to see the Jesus who has saved me and radically given himself to me. I want to see him receive glory and praise among every tribe and every nation and every people. Because he deserves praise and glory in every place. He deserves praise and glory, not just in the South, but he deserves praise and glory in Plymouth, Massachusetts. He deserves praise and glory in Bihar, India. He deserves praise and glory wherever people are and do not know the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. And the believer is one who says, I am willing to give radically and generously to people who do not, I will not know and may never meet until I reach, I see them in heaven. I will give money in, and support people even though it does not give me anything personally in return, only because I have received lavishly of the radical generosity of God to me in Christ. And it also means that I will I will give generously of my own life and career if he comes to me and he taps me and says, I've called you to go to those people. I've called you to uproot and go to Plymouth, Massachusetts. I've called you to uproot and go to India. I've called you to uproot and go serve in Africa, even though you will get less in return than if you stayed here. We give gladly of our time, our talent, and our possessions, not under compulsion, 
but sacrificially and willingly. Did you hear that in the passage? Each one should give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion or pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Christian doesn't give because there's a requirement to do so. We do not check your bank balance. We do not check your income and compare it with what you've given and say, hmm, let's, let's meet and have a talk. A Christian gives out a freedom. Do you know the radical grace and generosity of God to you? If so, then you will know that the whole center of your life has changed. And so when I talk about giving and you hear, you think about giving, it's not about just giving your tithe. It's not about us just trying to get you to give more. It's about living and giving out of the abundance of grace that has changed and rearranged all that you are. Because that's the only kind of grace that God pours out upon us. Grace that changes all that I am and all that I have and how I view all of life. Now, does that happen overnight? Yes and no. Yes, in that you view overnight, you should view yourselves and your possessions differently. It's all owned by Jesus. You and I are simply stewards. It changes our thinking, our approach to finances, to not just finances, but our time and our talents. But it doesn't change overnight in that you might not be as free as you like. You might have bills or debt or a lifestyle that strangles you right now and you don't see how you can give. Should you feel condemned if that's true? No. Embrace your freedom as a believer in Christ. And ask God and other wise people around you to help you get to a place where you can be freer to be more generous. But whatever you do, whatever you do, obey what the Spirit of God lays upon your heart. No matter how outlandish it may sound, seek confirmation from people around you, but do not disobey him whatever he leads you. We give cheerfully and we give expectantly. Did you hear that in the passage? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now what this isn't saying is, what some of you may have heard before is, Hey, if you give to the church or a ministry that God, it's sort of like an investment in a, in a, in a pyramid scheme. If you give, the, the, business, the, the business of this ministry will do well and the Lord will increase that back to you two, three, four, a hundred times back and you'll get rich and we'll get rich and it'll be a great pyramid scheme that we'll all enjoy. 
That's not what it's saying. But it is saying that we, give, that we should give with several expectations. And here's what it's saying. That we as believers give expecting that people that we give to will be cared for and blessed. That's what we give to. And we give expecting that God shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We give generously because he's lavished his grace upon us in Christ. And if he gave his son for you, don't you think he'll provide, as Jesus said, what you need to eat and the clothes that you need to put on your back and where you need to live? There's so many stories in this room. I know some of you guys. I know some of your stories. How you've been able to see God's supply in secret and miraculous way, seed whenever you didn't know where it was going to come from. And we give expecting that God will give us more in order that we can give more. Did you see that in the passage? He didn't just say, we give and he'll give us more money back so that we can buy that boat we've really been wanting. Hey, if you're on a boat, that's great. Um, Megan and I would love to see you on weekends. <laughs> this promise isn't for a personal wealth. This promise only appeals to the heart that's overflowing with blessings and wants others to be blessed in return. Otherwise, this promise doesn't appeal to anyone. Why would I want to get, give so I can get more money or more ta- talent or more time so I can in turn give it to somebody else? It doesn't make any sense as a Ponzi scheme. It only makes sense for believers who have hearts that have been ravished Has your heart been ravished with the love of Christ? See, that's the problem. I'm not here to try to cajole you or convince you to give to my mission or my ministry or the ministry of this church and try to convince you what will happen if you don't. I don't care about that. What I really want for you is I want your heart to be ravished with the amazing love of Christ Jesus for you. He gave himself for you. He's not sitting up in heaven saying, I hope they can in turn open their pocketbook or open their app and turn to the the giving page of Docs of Church and give to them because I don't know what they're going to do if they don't give. He wants your heart to be ravished. And if it is, your life will reflect radically, the radically generous love of Jesus Christ for the world around us. That's what I care about. Christian generosity, he tells us, is a blessing. He uses the word, that word gift that he uses twice in verse 5 and bountifully that he uses twice in verse 6 is the same word for blessing. You know what it's saying? is that when we give generously, it invokes a blessing on others. It's a blessing that's both material and spiritual. They're blessed by the physical help that we give them. And they're shown the beauty of the love of Christ. And it's that kind of generosity. Guys, listen. It's that kind of generosity that has changed the world. 
It's not the kind of generosity that will change the world. It has already changed the world. The generosity of Christ has changed history. And the generosity of his early followers changed the Roman Empire. Over and over again, we've seen in both small ways and big ways, those, the, who, those whose hearts have been ravished by the love of Christ, who say, all that I have is yours, and they radically give their lives, their time, talent, treasure, to Christ in return and to people who are in need and to fulfill his mission. It, the world is changed through them. And I'm tired of living in a transactional church in a transactional church age. And I think that's what God wants to change. And it doesn't change out there. It doesn't change from that church or that leader who gets money wrong. It changes as we, right here in this place, right now, say Christ has been radically generous to me. I wanna live radically generous in return and see just what he could do in my life, in my family, in my children, in my friends, and my neighbors, in the places where I work, if I follow him in that. Radical generosity can meet true physical and spiritual needs of both saints and the society we live in. But we don't get there through clutched hands. We don't get there by pursuing the American dream. And we don't get there by trying to play both teams. I think that's what a, a lot of believers that I know, myself included, have tried to do. I'm not fully going to live for the full American dream, but maybe halfway. And I'm not going to fully live a radically generous life to Christ, but maybe halfway. And we don't see the world changed and God glorified and his praise redound in nations that we will never visit. People go to places that they never would have dreamed of. People's careers and, and career arcs changed and altered. Our neighbors and families reached and Jesus made non-ignorable along the Grand Strand and in our country again, in the Western Hemisphere and across this world to the praise of his glorious grace. That does not happen through clutched hands, living the American dream, or try to play both teams. Our God and Savior is radically generous. Let's follow him and show the new kingdom to the world around us. The band's going to come up and we're going to prepare for communion. There'll be two stations, one on each side. As you come forward, you'll take the bread and the juice, return to your seat, and then Justin will come up and lead us. Jesus Christ. I'm yours. We are yours. You are, not only were you radically generous, you are radically generous with us.
continually pour out your abundant grace upon me, upon us. Oh, Lord, help us. Oh, by your Holy Spirit, God, work in us. Bring conviction. Bring surrender. God, even right now in this room, things that are coming to people's hearts and minds, things that they know. I've worshipped at that altar. I've tried to live for the American dream. I've lived in both. I've been playing for both teams. They feel that conviction right now. Lord, I pray they would not simply walk away. I pray they would not see themselves in the mirror and walk away and forget what they have seen. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. God, today, by your spirit, Lord, bring conviction. Call those that are here, Lord, that do not know you personally. God, call them home today. God, I pray that they would be miserable. I pray they would be miserable until they bow their knee to you. I pray they would be miserable until they repent. Lord, I pray they would be miserable of living life as they have always known. And I pray the same for the Christian here today. God, make us miserable and unable to accept compromise any longer. You've given yourself radically and generously and graciously to us. Oh, Lord, form that in us for your glory and for our joy. Amen.